we did a thing this week. <laughs> we bought a building. Um, again, I believe God does have it. I believe God's blessed us with that building and the opportunities we're going to have to, again, serve our community through that. But starting next week, we'll be meeting in Old Village Hall. As a church, as our, as our sanctuary, we'll be at Old Village Hall. We'll be taking our kids and actually using our new building for kids' church and nursery. And so we have the ability to do that. And so, yeah, I'm excited about that because, again, it's given us, a, it's, it's given us basically a footprint in Rice. We're still looking to raise about $30,000 for the construction of it for the build-out and for what we need to do in it. Um, and I believe God's going to bring that in. That's also going to help with our kids' area, our welcome area, uh, as, as well as some other equipment that we're going to need when we build in our sanctuary and that type of stuff. And so we want to continue to do that. We want to continue to challenge ourselves to move forward and do what God's called us to do. Because at the end of the day, this isn't, really isn't about us. This is about what is God doing through us to reach people. Because God doesn't care about a building as much as he cares about you. And as much as he cares about those who aren't here this morning. As Christy was talking, and the women can probably um, tell you it's the same type of thought process. Um, there are a lot of people who are going to hell, and it seems like we don't care. Well, my theory has always been, I want people to have to jump over me to get to hell. And so I'm going to get in the way. And that's why I am the way I am with my faith. And that's what I challenge you guys to become with your faith, is let God work through you. Don't think you have to do it. Because the Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, is our guarantee of the, of the life God's given us. And he wants you to share that life with, with someone else. Remember last week as we started, and we're going to go back into Ephesians today. Um, last week we started walking through Ephesians, and, and Paul was addressing those same issues that a lot of us deal with today, or a lot of people we know are dealing with today, and that is the issues of culture, of busyness, the issue of feelings I'm not good enough, the issues of feeling I have to try harder, I have to be perfect. I've talked about this in the past. Social media has destroyed people's thought processes because all they ever see is cropped perfect pictures. They don't ever see the mess around it. Have any of you guys ever gone to a hotel and you looked at it online and all of a sudden you got there and it didn't look as nice as what, you know, behind it was a ship graveyard or something. But they didn't put that in the picture, did they? How many of y'all ever take a picture of you and your spouse arguing on the way to church? No, y'all happy to get here. I've said it before a million times. The church parking lot is the most miraculous miracle working place in the world. Because people can be cranky, but the minute they get here, it's like, I love my wife. She is the best person ever. And then they get back in the car and start the argument all over again. But it's, it's the same issues. And this is what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with idol thought process that if anything is more important than your relationship with God, it's an idol. And so we have to prioritize and be intentional about our relationship with God. Paul is basically telling us through a lot of his epistle, epistles, here's what you are, now act like it. Here's your title. Here's who you are. Here's your job. Now do it. He's given us a job description of what it means to be a Christian. And remember, last week we talked about when we trust God, and, and, and we all are following Jesus in different scenarios. Not everybody's going to be like you. Not everybody's going to be like me, thankfully. <laughs> but we all have... Our, our, and in fact, I was just talking to my daughter about it last night. You know what our job is? You know what my job is? To follow Jesus. 
It's not to preach to you guys. It's not to teach you guys. It's not to lead you guys. It's for me to follow Jesus. You know what your job is? To follow Jesus. Or as Adam likes to say, to watch your own bobber. That is our job because as we become more like Jesus, guess what happens? We start to love other people like Jesus. That's why I have to follow Jesus. Now, do I do the things I need to do to learn how to preach better, to learn how to break down Scripture better? Yes, I do all that. But that is not my main focus. There are a lot of pastors out there who are better preachers than I am. And I, to me, guess what? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not comparing myself to them. Because I know who God made me. The mess that is me is who he wants to use. The mess that is you is who God wants to use. And when we understand last week, we talked about it, we are chosen by God. He chose you before the beginning of time. You are not here by accident. You are accepted by God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he's done. You're accepted. Remember, we talked about how we're redeemed, how Jesus paid our price on the cross, a price we could never pay, something we could never earn so that we could have life with the Father. And the last thing we talked about last week and something I talked about a lot yesterday is you need to understand you're forgiven. Too many people today still hang on to a past shame, a past guilt, a past problem, a past mistake, and forget that they've been forgiven. And so they carry that with them. And then when something goes wrong, guess what the enemy can do at that point? Take you right back to that spot and say, remember when you did that, you really hurt those people so you're not good enough. And all of a sudden the shame cycle starts all over again. And like I told one person yesterday, my favorite line is when Satan tries to remind me of who I was, it's bite me. That's not who I am. It's okay. Get a little, you know, that's my personality. You might not want to say it that way. But understand that I'm taking a stand saying, no, by the blood of Christ, I have been redeemed. I am not that person anymore. And so I can let go of it. You know, I used the analogy with one person yesterday. How many of you guys have ever stepped on a nail? Do you still have it with you? Why not? It was a mistake. It hurt. But you didn't hang on to it. How often do we do that with our own mistakes? See, healing hurts. Jesus in Luke 9.23 gave us an example of what it means to follow him. He said, he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, we don't get to decide what it looks like to be a Christian. Jesus already defined it. And so we have to dig into his word. What does he say? And so we, when we understand we've been set free, our freedom is to bring glory to God and honor to him. Our freedom is for other people. It's not for us. Our freedom is so that Jesus can work through us. And we understand what Jesus has done for us. Because when we understand and we get closer to God and we truly understand the cross... It changes how we see people. It changes what we do. It changes who we are. So today we're going to go into Ephesians 1, but today we're going to go to verse 15. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation this morning. If you have another version, just kind of follow along. 
It says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Sorry, that's NASB in that one. Okay. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under his authority and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So dear Heavenly Father, as we look into this scripture this morning, again, open up our hearts to hear and our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you have for each one of us individually this morning, God. You have a unique word for every person here this morning, God, and I pray that they hear that this morning. I pray that we cannot walk out of here the same way we walked in here this morning, God, because we met with you. And God, we are laying this at your feet. And Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we go back up to the beginning of verse 15. And again, I'm just gonna, it's going to be a quick breakdown of those last eight verses. The first thing we see is in, in this, in the New Living Translation, it says, ever since I heard the strong, ever since I heard of the strong faith, NASB says, for this reason, I too having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And in another version, it says, therefore, as I've heard of your faith, we, we need to look at this, and, he's, and, and Paul is briefly stating in that opening statement that we have to go back to the first 14 verses. If you miss the first 14 verses and jump to verse 15, you don't understand ever since I heard of your faith in Christ. Because when we understand that Paul says you are included in Christ, because that's what he says in verses 1 through 14, you're integrated into his body, you're part of his body, And because of this, you have a purpose in the body of believers. See, this is what the Ephesians were starting to live out and why Paul wrote this. He says, because you're living out your faith and loving those around you and understanding that he did this so you could glorify God and not glorify yourselves, for this reason, I'm thankful for you. And I'm constantly praying for you. And I'm constantly giving thanks for you. How many people do you know, and this this punched me in the face when I was studying this and reading some other messages on it, how many of my friends could write that letter to me? For the faith, hope, and love I see in your life, I am prayerful for and thankful for all the time. See, it challenged me to understand that, guess what? I have to live a life of faith. I have to live a life of love. I have to live a life of joy so that someone else says, man, you should see this dude. He's just in love with Jesus. I'm giving thanks for him all the time. Because see, when we understand that we can live a life for this reason, it's we're sealed by the Spirit. 
And when we came to Christ as our salvation, it's not the result of anything we've accomplished, but as a result of God's love for us. He gets all the credit for your new life. We get none. Because that's who he is. Your life is meant for his glory. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than Bridge Church. What God is doing is bigger than us. That's why we need to remember we're chosen. We're accepted. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're sealed by his spirit. Why? Because Jesus knew the job was too hard to do. So he said what? He told his disciples, he told his followers, go wait for the promise of the Father. Go wait for the Holy Spirit anointing because you will not be able to do this on your own. And what happens when we try to do it on our own? We get frustrated. We get angry. We get short. Because we're trying to do things we were never designed to do. We're trying to do what we think God wants us to do. And God's saying, slow your roll. Get back to who I made you to be and fill your role. Again, I've told you before, that role over there with kids, not my role. We would have a really small, maybe non-existent kids ministry if I had to run it. But we have been blessed with two people, with Christy and Sarah, who have a heart for children. And they're filling their purpose right now. Doesn't mean that season doesn't change. I led worship for a lot of years. I never planned on being a pastor when I started this journey. But we all have seasons God walks us through, and your season to fill in this body is important. Have you ever considered, when he says, I've heard of your faith and love, have you ever considered this, this fact that your faith is good news for somebody else? Your story is important. What you've been through is somebody else's giant killer. See, too often we, we want to say and we want to live, and, and we should live like it's, it's all about Jesus, because it is all about Jesus. But he's using you. I struggled for years when I led worship because I would move around and I would dance and I would just get lost with God and I would have people say, we just love watching you worship. Well, in my mind, I'm like, why are you watching me worship? Enough where I went to and got counseling on it because I'm like, am I doing something wrong? Because I don't want people focused on me during worship. I want people focused on God. I want to paint a picture so big of God that it, it just drops you in awe of who God is. That was my job with worship. And I counseled about it, and he says, do you act like this at home? I'm like, dude, you know me. I'm always a little bit nuts. And he's like, well, then keep doing it. Honestly, when I started, if I could have taken my bass guitar and went into a back room and played and nobody could have seen me, I'd have been happy because it was me and God. That's all my worship was about at that time. And sometimes I need to get back to that. See, sometimes we got to get unsaved a little bit. we gotten oversaved. What's that? Oh, yeah, you can. What if you won't use a vacuum because it's called a dirt devil? You're oversaved. See how that works? Um, I didn't make that one up. That one came from Michael Jr., but it is funny. Or another one he said with that, with being oversaved, he said he had a friend who lost his keys, and he had a friend that said, looked at him and says, you need to have the keys to the kingdom. He's like, I didn't drive a kingdom here. I drove a Nissan. See, we got to be careful that we don't get oversaved. And we got to remember that we aren't, the salvation has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. And so 
for, for me as a pastor, as I wrote this down, I have to remember success isn't in numbers. Success is in disciples. Success is in a growing, healthy community of believers. Now, culture defines success by money, by how popular you are, by, in, in churches, how big is your church? How big a worship team do you have? How many lights do you have? Do you have a smoke machine? You know, all this stuff is, is defined in churches as success. And as I sat and prayed about this, I need to remember that my success isn't found in numbers. It's not in the number of baptisms. While those things can be a, a small measure of success, true success is found in restoring marriages. It's restoration of relationships. It's in people growing in their relationship in Christ. It's in people finding freedom in Jesus. That's successes. As I told somebody I was talking to yesterday, yeah, I was on the phone a lot yesterday, um, I said, guess what? Was Jesus a good pastor? They're like, well, yeah. I'm like, he had 12, and one of them stabbed him in the back. How do we define success? See, we have to define success in our relationship with Jesus. Everything else will follow that. Remember, God says, seek my kingdom first and everything else will be given to you. James says it best when he says, but faith without works is dead. Remember that Christ said the world would know we're his disciples by what? By loving one another. And sadly, it is by loving those you don't agree with. Can you do that? The very people that are afraid of the church today are the very people that flocked to Jesus. That's the type of church I want us to have. People feel accepted. People know they were chosen. People can find redemption. And people can find forgiveness. See, when we understand we've been forgiven, we can start to forgive. If we have a hard time forgiving others, it's because we've had a hard time receiving forgiveness in ourselves. And that's why Paul is making these statements in here. Now, Paul goes on into verse 16 and 17, and he says, Do not see, He does not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. See, I think a lot of times we cut that off. We want to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Because, it's, again, we think it's going to make us popular. But Paul is saying, no, your spiritual wisdom and understanding need to be growing in your knowledge of God. Why? Because as I know God more, guess what? I start knowing other people better. So when Paul's praying for spiritual understanding and for spiritual wisdom, it's not for the benefit of us it's for the benefit of others because as we grow closer to Christ, what happens? We start to become more like Christ. We can start loving people like Christ. We can start seeing miracles happen because we've gotten closer to Christ, not because I got more understanding and knowledge. See, I need spiritual understanding. I need spiritual wisdom. I need spiritual insight so I can grow in the knowledge of God. And how do I get that? First off, it happens with a personal relationship with the Father. And that happens because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You all have rights to walk into the throne room before the Father. 
That's what Jesus purchased. Because up until that point, nobody could enter the presence of God. But that's the, that's the significance of the veil being torn. That was the last thing that nobody could do except for the priest once a year. And he had to make sure he did it right or he died. Now, we did see that happen in Acts, didn't we? Somebody came into church and lied and died. I don't want that happening. Our numbers will go the wrong direction. And it will happen with me. Because I think we all have a tendency to... We don't really mean it, but we, we have a tendency to make things bigger than they are. But as we learn who we are in Christ, and we learn that we have a relationship with the Father, and we learn that this happens through prayer, through reading of his word, through praise and worship, and through gathering together. Because what, what is the purpose of us gathering? To edify and to build each other up, to encourage each other to go out and do the works Christ has called us to do. See, this is the beginning of the week, it's not the end. So we begin here to get excited to go there. And then we come back exhausted because we gave it all away out there. And then we come back again. And then we do Wednesday nights occasionally because we need a midweek fill-up. Because it's been a rough Monday, Tuesday. And then we go back out again. And then we just give it out. Way back when I first started coming here, when Emil was pastor here, we started a youth movement called Love Different. Basically, the thought process of loving different was, guess, guess what? I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. You loving me back doesn't matter. Because Jesus loved me while I was still a sinner, while I was still his enemy, and he still loved me and died for me. Guess what? I'm going to love you. Do you like it? I don't care. Because I'm going to love people the way Christ loved me. And so the importance of this statement Again, as we go closer to God, we learn more about Him, we start to be known by God. We don't just have a lot of facts, but we start to see Him for who He truly is, a loving Father who sent His Son to die on a cross for us. We become more like Him, and we understand it's not about what we can do, but about what He has already done. See, us getting together on Sunday mornings is because of the cross. It's because of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. The spirit of wisdom that he's talking about is you can jump back to John 16, 13. And these are Jesus' words. He says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. See, when we look for the spirit of wisdom, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to give us guidance. And this, this part of the prayer that he's praying isn't some supernatural mumbo-jumbo. He wants you to understand practical application. That as you go to work tomorrow, how can you apply spiritual wisdom? How can you take what God's teaching you and help somebody else? See, nothing in, in the Bible, and I think too often we do this with the Bible, is we read it and it's really good. But we forget, it. we forget that it's practical application to our lives. This is how we should live. We forget the fact that God says, guess what, I'm going to give you the spirit of wisdom so that when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to run into somebody who needs a word and I'm going to be able to give it to you because you, uh, you've been praying for that spirit of wisdom and so you can give them a word that they need to give them some hope that they didn't have. See, that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. As we give in to the Holy Spirit, We'll live out our faith. 
Because it won't be us trying to live it out, it'll be the Holy Spirit living it out through us. How many of you ever heard the old quote, a dream deferred is a dream denied? Anybody ever heard that quote? No? You guys don't read as many quotes as I do? Okay. Um, How about a man without vision shall perish? Same thought process. I can have a dream, let's say, of a big church building over here. And I pray because it depends on God. But I do nothing with it. What happens? Nothing. Just because you have a dream of what you want to see God do, again, I'm going to say it, and eventually you guys will know this quote, you pray like it depends on God, but you work like it depends on you. Now, I can remember watching an old sermon by David Wilkerson, and he made a statement that stuck with me, and he basically said, I'm sick and tired of you crying about your lost loved ones because you're not praying. You're not praying for wisdom and insight. You're not praying to grow in your faith. You're expecting someone else to do it for you. And, and Paul is telling us we have to get back to that faith without works is dead thought process, and I'm going to put the work in, God. You've given me a dream, but I'm going to work. I'm going to work doing what you called me to do. Because the sad part about it is from an outsider looking in or a person without faith looking in on the church, we look no different than culture besides we're getting together Sunday morning. How is our lives different from those around us? Are we just like everyone else, but we say we have faith? Are we letting our faith show itself? John, 2 John 2.20 says it this way. He says, but you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and you know all truth. How many of you guys have ever, ever entered a situation and you say, I don't know what to say? How many of you guys have quoted that scripture verse saying the Holy Spirit has given me all truth and helped them? See, we have to understand that God's already given us everything we need. We just got to step into it. He talks about how he prays that their heart, the eyes of their heart will be enlightened so that they will know the hope that is of his calling, what are the riches of his glorious glory of his inheritance in the saints? How many of you guys have ever thought of yourself as his inheritance? What his word says, you're his inheritance. He also says the hope of his calling, which is what? Your purpose. He created you and wants you to see clearly your purpose. Why? Because you're the only one who can do it. You are the only one that has the faith that you have. You are the only one who can worship the way you worship. And God says, guess what? I take glory in that because you're my inheritance. That's how much God loves you. When he says the hope of your calling, he is saying you have a desire, but you have an expectation of that desire. It's not just a pipe dream. It's a desire to see people's lives changed. It's a desire to see your life changed. It's a desire to see your family's lives changed. That's hope with expectation in his calling who says, you're my inheritance. Remember again, last week's message, we 
when we understand we're chosen, we're accepted, we're called for a job. We're called for a purpose. No one else can fill. So you guys aren't here this morning. You guys aren't listening online this morning by accident. God has you here for his purpose. We just have to hear what it is. And so we pray for spirit of wisdom and understanding so the Holy Spirit can reveal it to us. I can't reveal it to you as much as I would love to. I can give you some wise words. I can give you scripture. But it's up to you to listen to the Father and up to you to spend time with them. Again, I love 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, we're the light of the world. We carry the light of the world with us. In 19, it says, and what is surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Think about that for a second. His power has been given to us for his glory. Because these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. See, we need to understand that everything, all the resources of heaven, all the things that God has for us are already there for us but we got to get plugged in. we got to stay plugged in. I'm going to read a quick story here. It says, I heard a story about once about a man who was riding into town in a wagon. He was on his way to receive a rich inheritance that he had just been granted. It turned out that as he was about a mile away from town, a wheel on the wagon broke. And this forced him to walk the last mile into town. He was pretty grouchy about having to walk the whole mile. But then he stopped to realize what he was on his way to do, and he laughed at how silly it was to complain. A mile's walk is an inconvenience, but it was certainly no big deal when he was on his way to receive an inheritance so rich that he could buy as many wagons as he wished. And it's the same way with us. We all go through trials in life. There are many times of sickness, of loss, of trouble, or need along the way. But if we truly know what God wants us to know, what is the hope of his calling, then the trials and troubles are certainly no big deal when we're on our way to receive a share in such a rich inheritance forever. See, we have to remember what we're doing. It's not about my comfort, it's about his glory. Why? Because Paul says that, you know, whatever we're walking through, and this is paraphrase, sorry, whatever we're walking through, whatever trials we're going through, pale in comparison to the joy you will receive in heaven. But we tend to do what? We tend to get in the oh, woe is me mode. My life is so hard. Nobody likes me. And Jesus said, I died for you. It says in verse 20 that we've been brought about, all this has been brought about by Jesus' sacrifice and raising from the dead to sit with all authority and power. His name's above every name for all time. He's the head of the church which is his body, which was his desire, and he wants to fill and overflow you today. Did you come to church this morning believing that? That God was going to fill and overflow you? See, for while Paul, while he prayed for the Ephesians, he prayed four things basically for all of us today. And that is 
to know God, to know the hope of his calling, to know the riches of God's inheritance, and to know the power of God in your life. See, every one of you already have a small sample of that power of God in your life because you're here because of what Jesus has done. That was the power of God unto salvation was the cross, is what the word says. But before growth can occur, there must be life. And so I want to finish off with the question, have you been made alive in Christ? And if not, as we finish off this morning, I want to take some time and take a moment to think about that. Think about the fact you are his church. The church isn't where we meet, but his desire is for you to see yourself as he sees you. Holy and blameless, forgiven, chosen, redeemed. We have great value in him. God the Father looks upon us as a great gift to his own son. There's one last scripture verse I want to read this morning, and then Sean's going to play some. If we understood the precious gift we received from the Father and how precious we are to Christ, we would never see ourselves as we used to be. We would see ourselves as the new creations in Christ that, we, that we've become. And we understand to know God is to know the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints. And so this one last verse says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave you all your sins.